0: Before we chat with the Letterboxd podcasting crew today, we have to mention that this episode is brought to you by Paramount Pictures' Babylon. Damien Chazelle's new film opens in theaters December 23rd and stars Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and Diego Calva.
1: Gemma, let's be honest with each other, please. The
0: buzz for this movie is off the
1: charts. It's on 116,000 Letterboxd watch lists, and it's about early Hollywood decadence and depravity that you have to see in theaters to be a part of a conversation.
0: But Babylon isn't just a chronicle of reckless, extravagant Slim. It also charts early artistic innovations within the film industry. We love it. Movie lovers love movies about movies with big movie stars. So see it in theaters December 23rd. And now, on with the show.
2: Do you realize that what you're saying is that the only
3: reason you wouldn't fuck those two models is out of consideration for me? Not because you really wouldn't want to. It's just, relax, Alice. This part is making you aggressive.
0: Hello and welcome to The Letterboxd Show, the podcast about movies people love watching from Letterboxd the social network for people who love watching movies. I'm Gemma, he is Slim, she is Mia, they are Mitchell, he is Brian, and today we have a Yuletide cracker of festive podcast delights. It is our four holiday favourites plus one.
1: Yes, Gemma. It's the great Quintuple Fist Pump High Five joining of the podcast forces here in the Letterbox Studio. We have the hosts of The Letterbox Show. We have the hosts of Weekend Watchlist. And we have the hosts of our soon to launch new limited award season series podcast Best in Show. 3 podcasts, 5 hosts, 5 Christmas movies, one gloriously chaotic final episode of The Letterbox Show for Favorites for 2022.
0: Shall we crack in for the listener's benefit and, and for our own so we can remember who each other is? Could you please state your name and the holiday fave you are going to be discussing today?
3: Hello, I am Brian Formo. I will be a co-host of Best in Show. My holiday pick is Carol. I'm even wearing my Carol sweatshirt for this. <laughs>
0: Glorious.
2: <laughs> oh Brian, I'm loving your Carol sweatshirt. I am Mia. You may know me from Weekend Watchlist, but I will also be co-hosting Best in Show, and my holiday pick is Bridget Jones's Diary.
4: Uh, I am Mitchell Beaupre. I was uh, weird. I was not invited to co-host Best in Show. I don't. You know, I, this is the first I'm hearing about some new podcast. Any, no idea.
0: Anytime you want to put me on Weekend Watchlist, Mitchell, you can have a turn on Best in Show. It's all yours.
4: Interesting. It sounds like I will not be on Best in Show at all, according to what's, what's being foretold here. Um, people might know me from Weekend Watchlist, which uh, Gemma is available and, you know, able to come on anytime she wants. I don't I've heard the discussion that she has not been invited. That is not true. That has been fabricated. But uh, yeah, my, my holiday pick is Eyes Wide Shut, uh, which will not be controversial. And nobody here has any opinions on, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I didn't realize it, but you're right. Best in show could be Gemma's long game. After some kind of like a slight (laughs) that she feels she got. We'll dig into that post-show in a a podcast meeting. But you might know me, Slim, as co-host of Four Faves, Weekend Watch List. And my pick, it's not even one of my fave movies, but I feel like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's (laughs) Batman Returns. So that's my movie.
0: It's me, Gemma Gracewood, the original host of The Letterboxd Show. (laughs) The first (laughs) And as Four Faves winds down for this season, I will, in fact, be co-hosting Best in Show with Mia and Brian. And my pick, bringing it all back home to the North Pole, where Christmas all began, it's nothing to do with some baby called Jesus, is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Wow. Our
1: savior, Rudolph. So at the onset of this recording, we mentioned that this is the season finale of the Four Faves theme for the Letterboxd show. But in the new year, we'll have something new in its place, something brand new. And it's going to be called Best in Show, a podcast focused on award season. So Mia, you'll be anchoring that show. And it's probably safe to say that it would be ideal for folks who love award season, but I'm guessing it's Probably also safe for just movie lovers who don't pay attention to awards whatsoever.
2: Oh, absolutely! This is for this is for everyone. Best in Show is is for everybody. It is a limited podcast series brought to you by Letterboxd. It is going to be hosted by me and all of these beautiful people. Well, not all. Oh my! God. <laughs> Should I just go? I don't need. I don't need to be
4: here. Honestly, I can just.
0: <laughs> I mean, you did choose eyes wide shut. So, like, if you've got things to do, it's fine with me. <laughs> appointed choice. Yeah. (laughs)
2: So the main reason why you should be listening to Best in Show is because we have the letterbox data. Mm. Yes, that's right. We have the letterbox data. We are going to be peeking in at what the community thinks about all these wonderful films out. And we are going to be using that data to inform our discussions about the... Academy's opinions and why they are right or a little bit misguided. Uh, We're also going to be interviewing and interrogating, hardcore interrogating insiders about the (laughs) role of awards in the film ecosystem. And then lastly, what we are are going to do, what we always do, which is celebrate cinema. So please join us, all of you, please, Mitchell included. I'll
4: be (laughs) be be listening from home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited because it's not just about the Academy Awards. It's about... The Letterboxd Year in Review. It's about the Critics Guilds. It's about the SAG Awards. It's, you know, it's the BAFTAs, my faves, the BAFTAs. Mm. It's, it's not all about the Oscars. The Oscars get a little too much attention in awards season. We're going to be giving other awards some love too.
1: Right, the BAFTAs. That's like the British Army Awards or something. I have no idea <laughs> yeah, what that is. Even... It's the awards
0: given by the British Army for the movies they love the most Well, on base. 1917 <laughs> has year. won
1: in t- two years in a row somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, you folks might know Brian Formos, senior producer, as our ASMR king from those Weekend watch list episodes. But I'm, it's probably safe to say that awards season in general can be something of like a sports season for so many movie fans, right?
3: Well, it's sports season for me now because my beloved Seattle Seahawks are currently backsliding <laughs> out of the NFL playoffs.
0: <laughs> Cut the mic. Cut the mic. Mitchell
3: just passed out.
1: Mitchell's Mitchell's
3: unconscious. <laughs> I wasn't told this was going to have sports involved with this episode.
0: Yeah, I don't know what any of that
2: means, Brian.
3: <laughs> well, that's okay because Slim is correct. It is movie sports for movie lovers because everyone has a committed rooting interest, whether it's for a specific film, filmmaker, actor, or just rooting against specific films, filmmakers, and actors. Uh, And it is the length of a sports season, basically. It goes on and on and on, and it either gives you a dopamine hit if your taste is vindicated at the end, or it makes you question why you spent hours and hours of your valuable time if it goes south. And as a sports apologist, I am a sports apologist, I can't say that those are the exact feelings similar to sports. Uh, like at the end, you're like, why do I do this to myself? But you keep coming back every year mm-hmm. with, with fresh hope and
0: rooting on those you love. And one of the things I love the most about having Brian on the team is that he's already bringing the goods. We just as a little taster teaser, we can tell you that we have Roger Deakins coming up on Best in Show. No. True story. Deakins. People will finally be able to, you know, know the answer to, does Roger Deakins, the mild-mannered cinematographer, ever lose his rag on set? Oh we are, we're asking the hard questions on Best in Show, wow. aren't we, Mia? We I told asking- you we were going
2: to interrogate. It's like single lamp spotlight shining right in their face. It's a dark interrogation room. We have a good cop, a bad cop. It's intense. In Look, Mitchell, Mitchell
0: might be feeling a little left out at this, at this stage. So Mitchell... No, never. Is, is Christmas... <laughs> your favorite time of year? And is it because of the amount of physical movies that get gifted to you?
4: Oh, sure. That's a great question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time. I mean, people are pumping out gift guides all over the place. We've got one on Letterboxd. If people scroll down to the bottom of the site, we've got a gift guide there or on the app, you can find it in like the search uh, function. We've got a gift guide of all of the goodies out there for the film lovers in your life, um, which does include me. I, as everybody on this recording knows, I am moving um, at the end of this week, and I am fiendishly preparing to pack up all of my movies and somehow transport them. I like, I keep asking my mom to bring me more boxes from her job because she's like, I've given you so many already. You still need more. And I'm like, mom, I have gotten like a third of my movies packed up so far. Like, please, more boxes.
0: (laughs) Do you know, we learned last uh, last week's episode of Four Favorites with Aaron Yap, our head of social, that he stores his DVDs In the order in which he purchased them.
4: No. (laughs) That's fascinating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Mitchell, I'm wondering in your new house, how you are going to order your Blu-ray DVD collection?
4: So I go, I'm, I'm more boring with mine. I have considered, lately I've considered organizing it by label and by, like, release order of each label. So, like, a section for, like, (laughs) Criterions, a section for, like, Kino Lorber, a section for Arrow. But right now, I just have it. I have all the Criterions in one place. The Criterions are alphabetically ordered, but sectioned by 4Ks and then regular Blu-rays and then DVDs. And then my other non-Criterions are also organized alphabetically, first by 4Ks and then by regular (laughs) Blu-rays and then by DVDs. But it's all alphabetical. And I will... It is technically all alphabetical, but I at least like three times a day have a moment where I'm like, oh, that's not in the right alphabetical order. I (laughs) messed that up and then I have to like move something around. So it's kind of alphabetical. It's more or less alphabetical order.
1: The intricacies of that rival Brian bringing up football for a second, I feel like, (laughs) when you passed out. Brian could have easily passed out during that but the the zany structure that you were setting up.
0: <laughs> I can, I can go. I can leave. I will. <laughs> if I owned more than 3 DVDs, I think I would order them in order of most rewatched. That's I mean that's also that's also
4: a good a good uh, good way to do it.
0: Which speaking of rewatchable movies. We're not wasting any more time today. We have no time. Let's work through these films in reverse chronological order. We're going to dive right on in. We're going to lose our gloves at the toy counter. Or as Anna writes on Letterboxd, it's time to sigh and cry. That's right, it is time for Carol. Step on down, Brian Formo, for Todd Haynes's 2015 Christmas Masterpiece based on Patricia Highsmith's novel. 117,000 Letterboxd members have pressed the little heart for Carol. Maybe that's not enough.
1: It sounds like a lot. I, I, I like. Well, I'll I'll be the idiot who said <laughs> I've never watched Carol before this week, but there was this a lot more watched. hearts on the movie than I was expecting. Uh, incorrectly, obviously. Uh, but Brian, why did this jump to the top of your list for for your holiday pick?
3: Gemma, you mentioned Christmas, but let's not forget New Year's is part of this as well. That is mm. when they first hook up. So it is the whole holiday season. Um, it's my favorite, my favorite, uh, I should say on best in show, we do have some size and sound effects and maybe we need a sigh in there. <laughs> you can add that slim yes.
1: note to self drop in,
3: <laughs> drop in sigh MP3 yep. file, <sighs> but it's my favorite holiday movie because it's a poetic film first and foremost. And it has basically everything that I love about cinema in it, which is longing glances. Camera shutter closes, desire being known through your body posture, magnificent costumes, quotable dialogue. And I love that, well, you already mentioned the gloves, but I love that the thrust of the film is, uh, it is kind of psychological, granting the power of an object to do what the body wants. Um, and there is a cross between genres here, too, because even though it's a melodrama, it also has some noir elements. So it just does... A lot of things that I love about movies all together. And uh, I guess I should bring up the holidays and why I like it as a holiday movie as well. Um, I, in my formative years, I spent a lot of Christmases uh, outside the family or on road trips with budding new romances. So uh, this film is important for the holiday uh the holiday experience where it's not like the agony of getting the family together, which is a lot of Christmas movies. This is very much about new beginnings, having hope. Uh, And it is important to, to note that even though this is a period film, there is a hopeful ending. So like the ending, the final shot makes my heart sore. And like, what else do you want from a Christmas movie? This is, even though it deals with um, gay, gay romance in a different time period, it has hope at the end, and it's gorgeous and beautiful, and I love it. I love it so much that I made a, I made sweaters for it. I don't do that, mm. Mia. What about you? What are your thoughts on Carol?
2: Oh, of course I love Carol. Oh, <laughs> oh, of course it's Todd Haynes, Portland's own Todd Haynes. You got Kate Blanchett. You got Rooney Mara. You know, I care. I'm very cast oriented. In mm. in my film selection. So I mean you have Kyle Chandler there as well. Coach Taylor. Coach exactly.
0: Speaking of Poland, you have Carrie Brownstein. The moment when Carrie Brownstein from Slater Kitty like appears at the party, I was like, what? How did this film just get a thousand percent better? They did that for the lesbians. Like, truly. <laughs> like, this
2: is a movie that knows their audience. Cause Sarah yeah, Paulson's he's in gay. there. He's, Sarah Paulson's oh, yeah. there, exactly. Exactly. Oh my God, yeah. I, I love Carol for its impeccable casting and performances. That that's, mm. my main, that's my main reason, yes.
1: Jay has this movie logged 11 times. I'll read the first one from 2015. Do yourself a favor and watch this film and be saved. One of the best movies of 2015 and one of the best romance films I have ever watched. Carol delivered intense feelings in between subtle glances, touches, and wordless yearnings without being sappy and nauseating. Whilst painting a charming imagery of the 1950s, every scene was breathtaking. Without being political, Carol is evidence that love is a universal feeling regardless of orientation. What a review from Jay.
0: But Jay's 11 times doesn't come close <gasps> to matching EC's 164 uh, times. <laughs> oh my gosh. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? I mean, look, it's all in Ryan Moncrief's short and perfect review. Most of my favourite Christmas movies are like this, about how cold, dark and horny the winter is. <laughs> I also thought, Mia, you'd really appreciate Grace, who who saw Carol recently for the very first time, which feels unusual. I, I don't know. I, I feel like I was the only one of us here who was working at Letterboxd the, the winter that Carol came out, and it was... Like every single day, that movie was just on the front page of Letterboxd. It was in our Twitter feeds. Mm. It was just everywhere. So it's it's bonkers to me that people are seeing this for the first time, like Slim. But uh, Grace saw it at the cinema. I mean, how fantastic to be able to see it on the big screen! And writes, "You'll love this, Mia." They also played the Tar trailer before the movie. And as a Kate Blanchett enjoyer, I was living my best life.
2: <laughs> Lydia Tarr is so different from Carol. <laughs> she and Carol, I I want them in a room together.
3: <laughs> I do feel like the 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 first dinner with the celloist is a nod to the diner scene in Carol for for sure. Where oh. that's when Carol is sussing out whether Rooney Mara is maybe which which way she swings, which is the same Oh you mean way when that, Lydia
0: Tar says to Olga, mm-hmm. Do you do you like fish?
3: <laughs> Which I have to uh, I have to note that Gemma had to explain what that meant to me.
4: Oh <laughs> yeah, my God, baby
0: Brian! <laughs> Brian Formo, is it true that you have done film tourism in the name of Carol the movie?
3: Uh, it's partially true in that Cincinnati, Ohio, where they shot most of Carol, uh, was an hour and a half away from where my wife and I were for actually Columbus, Indiana. So the setting of a different movie, uh, Columbus, the architecture film from Koganata. Um, And we were going to Cincinnati anyway. So I was afforded, I was told I could only go to one of the places that they shot Carol because they shot like all of Carol around there. Uh, the, the Christmas tree where they're shopping, the department store, everything is there. So I did choose to go to the diner because uh, yeah, I mean, that's the location where you can get a meal.
1: <laughs> Mitchell, I'm looking to see what your rating is for Carol. Can you? Are you ready to reveal it now before we move into Bridget Jones' Diary? I think it's a four. Is it oh, a four? Oh, are you looking okay. at it? I
4: think it's a four. I I have um a weird, I have a, like a hot take-ish on Carol, which is that my the thing that holds me back maybe from loving it as much as other people do, I don't think that Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara have chemistry really. Like I don't. By their kind of connection at all but i also in a weird way the movie still works for me because of it like i think that they're not right for each other and they're kind of using each other in like a really odd way that i think is very compelling and so brian talking about the ending being hopeful for me i read the ending as very tragic um but i also that's like just me in my own world making up my own mm. Carol theories that are clearly not what everybody else gets out of the movie. But I like it still works for me, um, but just in, in a different kind of way. I like it. Mm. My mom fell asleep in the theater um, when we saw it, but <laughs> I also, I blame that because we double billed it. We saw the Danish girl first, so I think my mom was just kind of worn out by the <laughs> Danish girl and fell asleep like 20 minutes into Carol. Uh, <laughs> what a double bill. I was like, you slept during you slept during the better one. You you made the you should have slept during the first
3: one. Also, careful Mitchell, because uh, I am going to be the biggest eyes wide shut defender on this podcast. But I don't know the four stars for Carol. Don't believe in their love. (laughs) <laughs> I believe
4: in the love of Eyes Wide Shut stronger than than the love oh, of... Stay tuned. Stay,
1: stay tuned. We're not there yet.
0: We're not there yet, everyone. Calm down. Calm down. Speaking of film tourism, Mia, do you have five Bedale Street, London on your must visit places in the world? It is the location of the Greek restaurant in Bridget Jones's diary.
2: Oh my God, that needs to be a historic landmark. Like, this is where Mark Darcy and Daniel Cleaver fought to the death for Bridget Jones. Um, No, I need to visit there. I'm actually, I've been visiting Hugh Grant rom com locations. I'm in New York right now. I've I've been to a couple places that he goes to in Music and Lyrics. So, yes, that is very much up my alley. (laughs) But we are not here to talk about Music and Lyrics, my favorite movie in the world. We're here to talk about my other favorite movie in the world, Bridget Jones's Diary. Yes, any Bridget heads in here?
1: (laughs) It's like Bridget just kicked the door down to a party that was dead, and she's trying to amp everybody up to go another round.
0: It's raining men. Kick, <laughs> where my Bridget bitches at? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick this off. This is 2001. It's based on Helen Fielding's brilliant novel, directed by Sharon Maguire. I'm going to kick it off with a review on Letterbox from Phoebe Hugh Grant rowing a boat saying. Fuck me, I love Keats. And then emerging from a pond in a wet button-down shirt with a wilted cigarette in his mouth is the female gaze. Mia, your comments.
2: <laughs> so this was the first R-rated movie I ever saw in my life um, because I I like begged my mom, who's also a fellow Hugh Grant freak, because um, she did this to me. She gave me the disease by showing me music and lyrics at a young <laughs> age. And then that made me go, like, I need to see every movie made with this man. So, yes, I agree completely, Phoebe. Uh, this, is, this is legendary. I mean, his look, he's got the floppy hair. Mm-hmm. He's so suave. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm actually very curious um, to know who here, are you team Mark or Daniel?
0: <laughs> I'm just going to reply in the words of another letterboxed uh, member, Clarco, If this was a Gen Z movie, she could have both. Mm. Oh my! So Why true. Not both, my yes. Why not both? Yes. Why not both? My heavens!
1: I mean, if this was a if this happened today, I feel like he would he would be suffering a lawsuit at some point from the HR department uh, for the texting. <laughs> There's the some, some emails that, that are shared run. that would be that would be stored <laughs> yeah. and and read yeah. in some sort of they deposition. Would be printed <laughs> out. They'd, some would be redacted by the legal Let's team. go around suing. the group.
0: Okay, okay. I'm going around the group of men. If you had to choose between. Mark Darcy and Daniel Cleaver, Brian. Neither.
3: <laughs> I, would stay, I would stay single. <laughs> I think. I think that Colin Firth is so boring in Bridget Jones. I'm sorry. Yes, he, and he is. And he, no, I agree. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and Hugh Grant is a rat. So she, yeah, she needs to. Actually, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose Dolly Wells. That's who I am choosing.
4: Oh yeah, nice. That's I was cool. gonna say I'm, I'm 100 team Jim Broadbent.
2: Yeah, That's an excellent team to be on. Choose your yes. dad. Yeah. Why not? Yeah.
4: Listen, Brian. Wait, wait, yeah,
2: now I'm realizing. Listen,
4: listen. I'm coming in with the hot takes all episode long. <laughs> this I is why Mitchell's not on Best in
1: Show. The takes are too hot for that <laughs> too weekly too show. It can't be contained.
2: They believe in the love between Bridget and her father, but not Carolyn Lydia Tarr Trump.
1: did
3: nothing wrong. I'll say it here. I'll say it here. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of emails, speak of emails.
2: Yeah, speak, so true, so I
3: I will say that
1: Colin Firth is, he's a wet sock in this movie. He's got Mm -hmm. nothing going on. He's a zilch. Uh, Hugh looks tremendous.
0: (laughs) He's a zilch.
1: I love Renee. I think she's great in this. This is shocking. First time watch for old Slim here. Another (gasps) first time watch. I've avoided this one for years. And? I had a lot of fun. I thought it was very funny. Um, I did not see anything in Colin. I want Colin to just be shipped out, gone. He needs to, <laughs> he's got nothing going on. Take it, I mean, a jumper he's, he's and go. By a, he could be replaced by a broomstick in the first three quarters of this movie. You know, like, he's got nothing. What, 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 would, ever, what would ever attract
0: okay, you? Okay, Slim, I'm going to give you a little bit of history just to give you some context. I don't think it'll change your mind, but I think it matters. I am old enough to remember... <laughs> The first time we all were introduced to Colin Firth as a sex pot, 1995, he played Mr. Dar- the Mr. Darcy, Pride and Prejudice, BBC adaptation, in which he appears wet in a lake in a see-through white cotton shirt. It is It is a moment like the moment in the pond from Room with a View. It is. It was all that anyone talked about for several years. And so the casting of him as a different Mr. Darcy, albeit a buttoned up one, it was very, very, very deliberate. And it's part of the reason that people went in droves to Bridget Jones's diary. And it made squillions, $280 million worldwide at God. the box office. That's I'm also old enough money. to remember the controversy when Renee Zellweger was cast as Bridget Jones, because it was shocking that it was a non-Brit. And everyone was like, how's she going to do the accent? And also she's tiny and Bridget Jones is fat. She's a heffalump. She's giant. She's as big as the whale. Oh my God, what's she going to do? And the terrible, horrible years where we had to suffer every second goddamn tabloid reporting on Renee Zellweger's weight loss regime after gaining 100 million pounds to play Bridget Jones. Oh my God, what a fatso! Uh, yeah. Anyway, so there's just a little bit of history for you.
3: He's still he's still
1: a broomstick. <laughs> yeah.
0: can, I,
3: can I toss out a, a a sexy Colin Firth recommendation that's before God,
0: 1995? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to yeah. say it's that's the one with Stanley Tucci. No, cruising it's
3: uh, the, cu- cruising Supernova. around the
0: countryside.
2: Supernova. You know, Nova, I mean. you know, I that's saw
3: Direct you know know video, that. Direct to video sexy movie called playmaker i'm mentioning this because it is uh it's it's a it's a great erotic thriller but also it's going Mm -hmm. to really spice up our thumbnails when we when we (laughs) drop the movies mentioned in this episode but yeah colin firth 1994 in playmaker you can't tell if he uh
0: adding to watch list right this second does it make it to slim's man ass list
3: uh, actually, I, I I believe there's a shower, but mm? I believe there's a shower, but <laughs> for him
0: <laughs> need that shower, but
2: okay, need Mia, it. finish yourself.
0: off. Bridget Jones's Diary top three moments.
2: Obviously, the fight scene. We're gonna have to talk about that in a moment. But I also need to say something something controversial.
4: <laughs> Is it that Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara did not have chemistry <laughs> in Carol? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> because that's, what I'm what what I'm what that's already but, been said, no. Mia. Somebody already got it before you. <laughs>
2: Everybody watches Love Actually around the holidays for their Bing. Hugh Grant thing. I know. Well, Gemma, that's exactly what I'm about to propose <laughs> is that <laughs> we replace Bridget Jones as the Hugh Grant holiday movie. Mm-hmm. I agree. Instead of Love Actually. Hard um, agree. This is just so much more fun. It's like Love Actually is a disease. I watch it. I keep <laughs> watching it and I don't like it every single time. I'm like, this is terrible. But I like trick myself. I'm like, maybe— no, this time I'm actually going to really like it. Like, this time it'll be really good. No, it never is. But Bridget Jones, every time I watch it, I am enraptured. So that is my proposal, is okay. that we we this is the new holiday movie. Because also, like we mentioned with Carol, it also begins on New Year's Day, technically. It's technically New Year's is when she meets Colin Firth in the reindeer jumper. So it's post-Christmas. Anyway, so it has all of the holidays. And that's why it's perfect.
1: We'll, t- we'll take this comment under advisement.
0: I agree. Okay. I accept.
2: Thank you. Um, and now I just need to say that the fight scene is my favorite fight scene in history because they improvised it. Hugh Grant and Colin first no. did. Did you know this?
1: It looked improvised.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously those boys have never fought in their lives. Yes. They're posh boys. Um, so they just like made up. On the spot how they would fight And I think it was very accurate It was very sad to watch Which I like When men are (laughs) pathetic In the name of women
0: It's amazing I just looked on our uh, our run sheet And I see the Eyes Wide Shut is next So Mia, can you tell me another 10 to 15 things you love About Bridget Jones's diary I don't
1: appreciate what's (laughs) what's happening (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: 1999
1: Eyes Wide Shut Stanley Kubrick the legend, 4.0 average. This is Mitchell's pick for the holiday faves. Let's see it. Let's see what the synopsis has to say about this. After Dr. Bill Harfer's wife Alice admits to having sexual fantasies about a man she met, Bill becomes obsessed with having a sexual encounter. He discovers an underground sexual group <laughs> and attends one of their meetings and quickly discovers that he's in over his head.
2: How many times did they have to say sexual? Yes! Is it, is, no.
1: My God. <laughs> Uh, So this is Mitchell's pick. I watched this for the first time a couple years ago, and I remember hearing about this movie as a kid, and in my head it was like Tom and Nicole join a sex cult, and things get crazy. And that was not really the case. So Mitchell, why pick this one for your holiday fave?
4: Well, Why not, Slim? Um, I I mean, Eyes Wide Shut, it is like the first movie that I think of when I think about the holidays, especially nowadays because i um my partner sam and i we've been together for like five years now and what the first like holiday season that we were together they like weren't super into movies when we first started dating they are now we all blame myself for that um mm-hmm. but we're, we're all better off uh, everybody loves movies <laughs> but the first like one of the first movies that we connected on that they had seen before we started dating was we both loved eyes wide shut and that was kind of like one of the reasons that we connected And so the first holiday season when we started dating, they were playing Eyes Wide Shut on 35 at the Philadelphia Film Center. And so we drove like an hour to go see that. Like I was so hyped and it was one of getting there was one of the worst experiences of our life like we left it was like we had to leave at rush hour we left like half an hour late we were driving like freaking out sam's like on the gps like we're not gonna get there and i'm just like (laughs) i'm so stressed that i'm like completely shut down like zoned in on driving like it's raining i'm just like it'll be fine it'll be fine they're like how is it gonna be fine like you know it's not gonna be (laughs) fine like we are not gonna get there on time and i'm like they got trailers like we'll be all right like everything's gonna be cool and so we're super stressed and then we get there and this dude's chomp, like, throwing down popcorn in front of us. Like, the loudest dude I've ever heard. We have to move to another seat. And it was just, like, the worst kind of going into a movie experience you ever want to have. And the movie starts. Within five seconds, I, like, every bad thing leading up to that had completely left my mind. I was totally locked into the movie. Just, like, completely transfixed by it. I had seen it, like, six, seven times before then. Mm-hmm. But I was just totally lost in it. And as somebody who, like, being in a theater somebody, you know, three seats or three, like, rows down for me on the other side of the theater will pull out their phone and, like, check their, like, text and I will, like, that will completely pull me out of a movie because, like, I just, like, I, I have such, like, a bad attention span. My OCD is, like, if somebody pulls out anything, if there's any distraction, I'm, like, completely lost. You know, the movie, I'm not in it anymore. But mm-hmm. being totally won over by eyes wide shut and like locked in after having such a horrible time getting there it really speaks to the power of the movie for me and the hypnotism i am like watching eyes wide Shut. i am like tom cruise looking for a sexual encounter in the night (laughs) like i i'm you know feverish i'm looking for it i'm i'm glued in like i'm locked in i can't nothing else can pull me away uh-huh. from my mission, which is to watch Eyes Wide Shut and uh, vicariously experience uh, everything that he's going through.
1: Right, and you're and you're like him throwing around his uh, his doctor papers yeah. like he's a police officer getting his <laughs> way with <laughs> anyone just because he's a doctor in this movie. Never seen anything it like it. Hey, hey, it buddy, it works. Work. It does work. It works. I think I see Brian. You had this logged as five stars as well. Do you have a same memory of seeing this one and, and being glued into this movie? What it's what it's showing for you?
3: Uh well the first time I saw it, I had to leave halfway through because my date didn't like it. <laughs> 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 uh that was that was me in high school. Uh, and it was actually someone I'd been wanting to take out for like two years. And we didn't really date beyond that 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 <laughs> evening. Smart and choice. I did. I did go back and rewatch it on my own, which also kind of felt good because I was also nervous the whole time about like I know there's gonna be an orgy. I know there's gonna be an orgy, <laughs> and like what? A, how am I going to? How long is it going to be? What do I What do I do on a date when what, the orgy what happens? Face? You have to figure out what your face is going to be while watching the orgy so that if they
4: look over you, you don't look too excited, but you also don't look too put off. Just yeah. the right amount of like, yeah, this is, this is a normal thing to be watching. This is fine. <laughs> yeah.
3: So I went back and I watched it by myself. I sat in the back where nobody could see me and I loved it. Uh, I loved it. And I've actually only appreciated it more as I've gotten older actually. And I think that part of that, I mean, when I, when I saw it when I was younger and I loved it, it was more like it, it it was funny and it was dark, but the funniness was like the world's biggest movie star can't get laid. Basically. Mm -hmm. Like it's just him repeatedly trying to have an affair and all these things (laughs) that are stepping in his way. Uh, but, and it is something that when I saw it the first time, the um the final scene didn't really hit me as hard. But like now as I've gotten a little older and gotten married, that is one of the best movie endings ever. Uh right up there. It's even better than Carol as a movie ending, I'm going to say. Wow. Um, Brian, put it on
4: the record. Brian said Eyes Wide Shot better than Carol. We we heard it bet everything. You know, we can just end the episode, I think.
1: It is, it is an insane ending. I agree with you, Brian. It, as an older person, I feel like it's one of the best endings you could possibly have. It makes perfect sense. I loved it. Um, and as I rewatched it today, someone in uh, the 70mm Discord Made a comment about how I finished Eyes Wide Shut before noon and it was like the most insane flex I, for some. I rewatched
4: to do. this. I rewatched this the other, like last week at seven o'clock in the morning. I woke up at seven <laughs> o'clock in the morning. I was like, all right, let's put on Eyes Wide Shut.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, there's a review from Jillian on Letterboxd. Watching this on the living room TV at night made me feel like a teenage boy watching porn on the family desktop. <laughs>
1: You
4: don't want somebody to walk in on you watching Ice Watch. No,
1: no. You you scramble for that remote. You're juggling the remote in your hand. And it's it just flies a Tom Cruise. Out. It's
4: a Tom Cruise movie. It's a Tom Cruise. Tom
1: Cruise. I, I I look back at this era, and I think it's a crazy era because it's Tom Cruise in a Stanley Kubrick movie. I feel mm. like that's such an insane sentence to say looking back.
4: It's Nicole Kidman in a Stanley Kubrick movie. Nicole Kidman owning this movie, devouring it. To be him. fair,
1: she's she's been made many great movies with like, Great directors. I feel like it's interesting for Tom to do that because he's settled into that like action star persona where you're not waxing poetic about Tom and other Stanley Kubricks. That doesn't really exist. It never really happened after this. The Joseph yeah, Kaczynski
3: true. slam from Slim
1: right now. Listen, yeah. I like that. Movie. I like Oblivion. Oblivion is great
4: soundtrack. Oblivion is dope. Honestly, <laughs> I, I wax
3: poetic about uh, Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise. That's like new Charlie Chaplin to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can we just talk briefly about how Nick Nightingale, the blindfolded pianist, is the writer and director of Tar? I
2: was going to say, doesn't Tar herself, isn't she one of the voices at the orgy? What?
0: What?
1: Yes. Interesting. No. It makes you
2: think. <laughs> makes it Really you think. makes
1: you think. <laughs> Mia, what do you think of Eyes Wide Shut? Where do you stand on this as a holiday fave?
2: Oh, I effing love it. I am so glad Mitchell picked it. I also, when I, I watched it for the first time a couple years ago, and I reviewed it saying something like, oh, I love like it's lit by Christmas lights. I think that's so interesting. And somebody commented, they were like, uh, actually those aren't Christmas lights. Those are just lights around New York. Um, It's not really- <laughs> It's not really a Christmas movie. It's, I was like, what are you talking about? So then it but it I was like younger so it gaslit me into thinking like, "Oh my god, oh. I'm wrong about Christmas lights. I don't know anything about Christmas lights." Um, but now I know. I know a lot about Christmas
0: lights. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> And that's it's, how things have changed. It's like when it's like it's like being in class eh? A and, and the teacher's like, "What's two plus two? and you go four, and they go, "Are you sure?" And you're like right. suddenly second guessing yourself about things you actually know to be true. Like that's, Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. Shut where's up. Where's that weave
4: now? Honestly, I what's, know, what's, I know, What are they doing now? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's go find him. I know you're friends
0: with Demi Adejuibe. And so I was wondering if you were one of the people sitting next to him when he wrote this review of Eyes Wide Shut. Last scene made me horny. Wow, wow, wee, wah. Sorry to the friends I watched this with who are still next to me. And we'll have to learn that from reading this review. Yes,
2: I was there. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yes, oh. I was absolutely there. Well, we both were like, oh. <laughs> that is a hot ending. So don't worry. I was right there with him. But yes, we did. We did watch this around the holidays. Um, I think two years ago together because it's the perfect Christmas movie.
4: You're goddamn right.
2: I also, is this, is this Demi's review also? Kidman should have gotten Oscar for her stoned monologue alone. Same, same review. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. And he is correct. Absolutely agree. Yes. It's yeah. not I the mean, pot. She's, it's She's you. got an Oscar
0: for a lot of things, but yeah, it's not the pot. It's you should, should have a trophy. Should Tom
1: have got a trophy for this movie? Should Tom have gotten one?
0: I think this is one of the
4: things that I love so much about Eyes Wide Shut is that it is taking like both of their personas at that time. Like like Kidman has this reputation as being very chilly, very, you know, venomous. And Cruz has this persona of like him putting on airs a little bit and like making himself like puffing his chest out, you know, being the biggest movie star in the world when he is... A very small man, and like the the see the constant like people, um diminutizing him, the 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 frat boys who bump him on the yeah. side of the on the sidewalk, and you know are calling him gay slurs and everything. Like it feels like Tom Cruise being cucked for you know three hours, and it feels like that's like such a great. Uh, like a meta kind of commentary on where both of them are at, what people, like the public's perception of them is. And I think they both, you know, lean into it in really wonderful and exciting ways.
3: Which I'm old enough to remember also, like the early, early mo Movie internet around this movie was also doing that to them as a couple, like the gossip mm-hmm. around this movie and like teaching Tom Cruise how to have sex, and <laughs> the reason why "quote unquote" Harvey Keitel was fired, etc. It was a wild time to be online uh, and and interested in in film because the 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 gossip on this was insane. The hot goss. If you want more hot
1: goss, you got to check out Best in Show.
0: <laughs> Which, by the
1: way, I think a preview episode so will be coming in, in your podcast feeds very soon.
3: Wait, that's the that's the trailer now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is time to turn to what Sam Kirchhoff on Letterboxd calls the only Christmas movie that matters. Or, as Adam L. writes, Batman forced to work over Christmas just another night at the billionaire's masked sex club. <laughs> this would make a good double bill with eyes wide shut. Wow. We are, of course, talking about Slim's Best of fave for this episode: Tim Burton's 1992 camp masterpiece, *Batman Returns*.
1: I mean, can you imagine Tom Cruise in the Batman costume in this movie? <laughs> he wouldn't in be able, able to see it; it'd be towering over him.
0: Can I? Yes. Will I? No. <laughs> uh,
1: I. So we were talking about choosing the faves, and I, my Christmas, my real holiday faves are *Christmas Vacation*. Is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, obviously, but those have been covered at some point or talked about on the podcast already. And I actually watch Scrooged every year with my wife, Amanda, with Bill Murray. And I have like a running joke that that movie just gets worse and worse every year, <laughs> even even though we... It's going to be
4: especially worse this year after yes. some stuff has come out about yes. him.
1: Yes. I mean, there's a lot of great scenes where he just falls on his ass. It's very funny. So if people are in- interested in that. And then, and then we talked about maybe like doing a troll pick, like Die Hard. And I, I, every time someone, you know, rubs their elbow like Die Hard is actually the best Christmas movie, you know, their eyebrows go off like Jack Nicholson waiting for you to react to it. But Batman Returns, I felt like might be a fun discussion because we don't often cover Batman movies on this show unless I bring it up like a dullard. Um, And this is not even really one of my favorite Batman movies. (laughs) Uh, The first one is my favorite. So I I try to look back uh, as a kid You know, these movies were, like, the coolest thing that a comic-loving kid could have. Like, a a big-screen Batman movie, and it's at Christmas, so in my head, I'm getting a new set of toys. Like, oh, God, Batmobile, maybe with some snow on it, or some kind of Batcave with snow in it. You know, Batman costume, he's got to wear some kind of thermo suit. So looking back at my childhood is one of the reasons why I like watching this movie, because it had so much of that different era in my life of reading comic books but getting the toys um and having the movies be the main outlet for some of the stuff that is now exists in many forms like television hbo whatever you can get it anywhere but one of the things now i look back on this movie as an adult is it's such a strange thing to exist now like that this movie exists with michelle pfeiffer in it and danny devito michelle pfeiffer is probably maybe not probably but the best thing about this movie by far it's yeah. it's like her movie and everyone else is just in it. Christopher Walken, I love
0: I was gonna say, Christopher Walken with Eyeliner, gives me funny feelings.
1: Christopher Walken <laughs> is so bizarre. This is probably my first Christopher Walken movie. And his line delivery blew my mind, I think, at the time. When he remember he's like talking to his son Chip and after he realizes that Michelle's still alive. He's like, Ah, don't worry about it. We'll get her we'll get her down the line. Meantime. meantime I got got better better fish fish to to fry fry. (laughs) And then the scene just like ends. It's just so weird. He's so weird in this movie. Brian, do you have memories of Batman Returns? Were these like uh, big in your movie watching when it came
3: out? No. I didn't actually see this for the first... I saw this for the first time a year or two ago. But I will say... But I do. I had Batman memories of the 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 first Batman movie I saw was going to see Batman and Robin. So like that <laughs> oh was uh, that great was movie. my great movie. Nothing my nothing introduction. Um, well. But Batman Returns is probably my favorite Batman movie. I uh, th- mm-hmm. I I I just uh, love how horny it is, and like <laughs> I'm just gonna come out and say it. Like and also like we we. I didn't realize this until uh, we started talking. We all chose very horny movies, except except for
0: Jemma. <laughs> well, you. I, I, well, saw some I can't watch interviews of
3: Rudolph, so I don't know. Okay. I I can I can well, that one I saw as a kid, so I can't see the horniness. But I can be convinced that there's horniness in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> but Batman Returns is so much fun. It doesn't take itself seriously. I love how dark it is. Michelle Pfeiffer is great. Uh, Danny DeVito, I can't believe I'm the first person to mention Danny DeVito in this because I feel like he makes the movie, in my my opinion. And like, there's so many non-sequiturs. But his delivery is perfect every every time. He's ping-ponging from so many different thoughts from Parasols as sex toys to uh uh the 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 pussy that he's looking to see to registering people to vote. Just like every uh He's just all over the place.
2: Danny DeVito penguin versus Colin Farrell penguin. Go. I mean I Danny DeVito's penguin is, I
3: think,
4: a master class. Like this, which is one of the things that I love so much about Batman Returns, is just like how how much they let tim burton just be weird as hell doing this movie like the first one comes out the biggest movie of all time and they're they're like here's you know here's all the money to do whatever you want next and he's like okay cool i'm gonna make this the weirdest shit anybody's ever seen and like the the gall to make these villains especially catwoman and penguin be just absolute freaks is so like it's i like slim i saw these movies when i was growing up i think forever was batman forever was the first one that i saw and then i went back and watched these two and like i just saw that these were like batman movies they were fun i just enjoyed them and going back and watching them now i'm like how did i watch this as like a seven-year-old <laughs> and not i mean i guess i am kind of like a weird eyes per- I shut is my favorite christmas movie so i guess <laughs> maybe some stuff got <laughs> programmed in there but yeah brian mentioning the the non sequiturs and stuff, this My only note that I wrote while watching this was I said I my note is literally sorry everybody, there's this scene where Penguin sees Catwoman laying on his bed and says, just the pussy I've been waiting to see, and then talks about his naked sexual charisma, then a few seconds later asks her if she's a registered
0: voter. Like it's it's like watching
4: that. I'm just like, what is even going on right now?
0: The local body politics representation in this film, I would really appreciate. As a as a political as a as a policy wonk and former government worker, I was all in for the mayoral elections. Uh, I was definitely all in for Catwoman. Uh, her costume making montage, which felt like it went on forever, and still mm-hmm. is not long enough in my opinion. It is an amazing, amazing scene, that that entire transformation. And uh, also a lot of flick-flacks going on with Catwoman. As my child said, she was in heels and she jumped. That's right, son. Backwards. (laughs) You can do it. You can do both. (laughs) There is absolutely no reason for this film to be set at Christmas that I can see. Other than I guess the Oswald Cobblepotness of it all, you know the the abandoned baby. Abandoned How him, yeah. tragic it is that um, Pee Wee Herman and his wife abandon. Did you know that? I mean, it's such a Tim Burton move, right? To make uh, Oswald Cobblepot, who is Penguin, his his parents. His dad is Paul Rubens, who is Pee Wee yeah. Herman. I love that so much. But I was thinking, Mitchell, when you were talking about the the Tim Burtonness of it all, it is ah, oh, it's just so beautiful. There's so many. Letterboxd reviews that specifically call out the, uh, like Zering writes, the incredible subtle gradients and tones that he draws out of the blues, greys, blacks, and purples. I'm hard pressed to think of a movie Burton's made that has better cinematography from a purely aesthetic point of view. And for me, it was every time in Penguin's Lair when he shoots up through the water, Mm. ah, losing (laughs) it.
4: Losing it at every one of those shots. The sets are so phenomenal too. Like watching it, it's like watching like the, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like it's just watching, especially seeing like the superhero movies they make now and going back and seeing something like this, just seeing a movie made with like actual sets and like bonkers, like constructed sets. It's really gorgeous. And yeah, it's just jaw-dropping what they did with it.
0: Do do have another quick Batman question for you, Slim. So oh. so I do come from a Batman household. Uh my husband is Batman is his number one all-time favourite superhero. I I thought he'd be really excited to sit down and watch Batman Returns with us the other night. Absolutely not. Not serious enough. Batman, in his estimation, is serious only. And I'm like, I'm sorry, have you not seen the 1960s television series, which to me is the epitome of Batman camp and Batman Returns as a close second. Where do you sit on the Batman must be serious versus, <laughs> you know, horny Michael Keaton... <laughs> Spectrum,
1: slim. I can appreciate a good horny Michael Keaton. I think there's definite (laughs) nerd camps that fall into not serious enough or too serious, like some that don't that choose to believe that Batman and Robin doesn't exist, the '60s show doesn't (laughs) exist. Because depending on who you ask, they might be like offended by those shows. They don't think it's their Batman. But as I got older, I'm fine with it. They they represent different eras of the character. They can all exist in different universes, and people can appreciate them. But the the original nineteen eighty nine Batman was my favorite, I think, for many years. But the new one, I was levitating in my seat. Uh, so I'm, I think that might be my favorite Batman, and that's that's pretty darn serious that movie.
2: The power of Rob.
1: Could be, could be. <laughs> got Rob's a five power. star
0: from from our household Batman mm-hmm. expert. He walked, he walked out of that cinemaplex just like sweating and going, "Now that is a Batman." <laughs> <laughs> They finally did it. Now, were you
1: saying that when you watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? That was a reindeer. <laughs> that. 1964.
2: Rudolph is my reindeer in a profound
0: way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I figured we'd run out of time. And uh, so I just wanted to throw a cute little 51-minute stop-motion animation on at the end. It's, it's, it's like you, Slim. It's not my favorite. Christmas movie, I didn't even know about Larry Romer's 1964 classic from the Bass Rankin Mm -hmm. stop-motion geniuses until, I guess, until I watched Elf with Will Ferrell, which draws very much from this movie for its whole opening scene, including it has the character of Mr. Snowman in it, and they they had to go through a lot to get the rights to incorporate characters from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer into Elf. But that's when I first learned about it. I didn't realise it was a whole thing that was shown on American television every Christmas, every year. But when I finally sat down to watch it, I was like, do do people know what they're watching? So this is the story of Rudolph, a young red-nosed reindeer who's bullied because of his glowing nose because he's different from all the other kids. And then there's Hermie, who's a sweet twinkie little elf who just wants to be a dentist and not actually a toy maker, uh, and so they both have to kind of run away because they're bullied out of their town, and find themselves in the land of misfit toys. And it's all narrated by the wonderful Bill Ives as Sam the Snowman, who also sings uh, the famous song itself and several other wonderful Christmas songs. And uh, I just, I, I, I just love it because it's weird. It's, it's sort of demented, but it also feels the most Christmassy. But it's also it's also the most kind of like what is up with Santa? He actually does nothing all year round. He just sits there barking <laughs> orders. The elves do all the work. There's a lot of othering going on. I don't know. I just I I, I for some reason I enjoy just the demented weirdness of it every year. What about? What about you?
1: Yeah, I, I grew up watching this. This was on every year at my house. So I have like <laughs> very fond memories of watching this as a kid. And then when you're right, when you watch it after a few years off, you're like, man, what the hell is going on in this thing? <laughs> yeah. I think I've logged it a few times. And I just think Santa is like the biggest shithead in this right. entire town. I'm like Santa, what what are you doing? You should be kinder to these folks. What You're Santa. And that's like my impression Every time I rewatch it, I think I had that that feeling, especially that reindeer coach when like Rudolph's red nose appears and they, they, his, the, the coach is like, hey, what's all this? Ooh! And his eyes like bug out and he's like so embarrassed to even be near Rudolph. It's so crazy. What about you, Brian? Do you have memories watching this?
3: I, I have so many memories watching this, but I, I'm wondering, you said that you uh, watched it a lot growing up. I watched it a lot growing up, but I never actually set out to watch it. It would just be flipping through the channels and it would be there. So I'd always join at various points, but I never like actually like sat down, I'm going to watch Rudolph, but I still saw it every Christmas and as a as a kid the abominable snowman scared the shit out of me the the commercial breaks were always timed at the scariest hearts and I'd always be like I don't know if I can even though I'd, I'd seen it I'd seen it at this point a couple of times was like I don't know if I can handle this uh, I was a big scaredy cat as a, as a, as a kid um, but uh, the abominable and I
0: like that he was uh, redeemed a
3: little in the it end It's so it- funny
0: because the abominable snowman is the plushie I would want from this <laughs> but, but you know it's terrible because Hermes this little elf who wants to just be a dentist and he ends up sorry spoilers Pulling all the teeth from the Abominable Snowman. I'm like, what kind of... I'm never going to you. No appointments for me. Thank you, Hermie. My teeth are fine. This review on
4: Letterbox from John, who said, The elf dentist removed the Abominable Snowman's teeth a little too quick and slick for my liking. Would avoid that <laughs> dentist at all costs.
0: <laughs> but also Kate, who gives the film five stars... Everyone at the North Pole said, we can excuse homosexuality, but we draw the line at dentistry. <laughs> They're fine with Hermie until he says he wants to be a dentist. Mia, what about you? Ab- abominable Snowman plushie or not? I
2: was so scared of the Abominable Snowman. I also grew up watching this um, on like the ABC Family 25 Days of Christmas thing, and um yeah, I was very scared when he does the roar thing at them yep. and then it cuts to commercial. Yeah, exactly. that, I, I actually understand that <laughs> completely. I remember this vividly. Um, yeah, this I, I always watch this one. It was probably in my top three of like the stop motion Christmas ones. I really mm-hmm. like the year without a Santa Claus because it has the Heat Miser Snow Miser song. Do oh. I
0: remember? Can you now get rid of that
4: Santa for a year.
2: That yeah. So that was, that's also where Santa's being, Santa's clinically depressed. That is the plot of that special. Probably because so he I realizes
1: he's a big jerk. I that's why yeah, he's depressed in this movie.
2: <laughs> he's such
0: a weirdo in this.
2: The Santa storylines they come up with for these, where they, yeah, they make him really mean or depressed. It's interesting. Um, yeah. I love Rudolph and I love that gay little
0: elf. Oh, that's, yeah. That's my but,
2: quote. You can quote me on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, but look, if I had to pick. I would say a Muppet Christmas Carol every time. And if I could just take a moment to call out a beautiful journal story that we have on Letterboxd right now, a wonderful piece by Amy Knight, who's who's as big a Muppet fan as I, interviewing Brian Henson, uh, Gonzo's uh, assistant, Dave Goals, and none other than Slim's and my favourite movie composer of all time, Phantom of the Paradise's songwriter, and the Muppet Christmas Carol songwriter, Paul Williams. And that is on our site right now. Rizzo the Rat, all the way. So, Rizzo was a star.
1: Do you think Paul Williams was the sex cult in Eyes Wide Shut?
0: <laughs>
4: yes. I
1: don't know. Is that really a question?
3: I know.
2: <laughs> it was sponsored by Swan Records or whatever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Before we go, we're not going to end it on Orgy Talk. Uh, <laughs> This is, people are going to be listening to this with their families. Uh, Mitchell, you had mentioned that you had a fun story watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. What was that?
4: Well, I mean, don't say we're not going to end it on Orgy Talk too quick there. You don't know what the story is. (laughs) Um, My friend Daryl wrote a review that said, watching Yukon Cornelius lick his pickaxe constantly was a defining moment for young gay men everywhere. So I think I think there is plenty of horny going on all over this movie, but you no, know, this was actually my first time uh, watching this movie. Like I, I guess I'm the only one who hadn't wow, seen this wow, as a kid, wow, wow. but the this was the bane of my existence for many years working at a Movie shop, the movie store that I worked at <laughs> when I was like. 19 to like 24 because we had a uh, dvd that we played on a loop that was just like 20 movie trailers on a loop so it would play for like an hour and then it would just repeat and play for another hour and it was you know the new releases whatever whatever and every single holiday season for november and december the dvd would just be like the christmas all of these ones like on loop over and over again. So, I had to see over the course of 4 years the trailer for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at least like 500 times. And oh so I watched this because it is my job. I watched it out of respect for everybody here. I wa- I watched the whole thing, but it felt like I was having some sort of war flashback the entire time watching it. It was it was a lot for me. I heard I heard all the songs I learned about the nose. I, you know, I could have gone into this having no idea what this nose was about. What does that mean, red nose? But <laughs> the, I was in the trailer. I saw, I saw everything, the whole plot.
2: I can't believe they gave away. that he They a told red me nose all about his,
4: his, <laughs> yeah. encou- his, you know, desperate search for a sexual encounter, everything. It was all in the trailer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, Island of Misfit Toys could easily be the sex club and eyes wide shut. Could oh, easily God. be Penguin's Lair could easily be the diner and carol i mean i'm 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 putting the links together it's all Let's connected just so it's all connected it's all connected and it all comes back to lydia Tarr. <laughs> yes everyone just wants
3: their uh their uh, sock stuffed <laughs> Jesus
2: Christ. Jesus
0: guests today were Mia Vicino, Mitchell Beaupre, Brian Formo, Slim and me. Thanks to our crew, Jack for the facts, Brian for booking and looking after our guests, Sophie Shin for the episode transcript, Sam for the art and to Monica for the theme music. And also, because this is the last Letterboxd show for favourites for 2022, to Linda Moulton, our earlier booker. We love you, Linda. We miss you. This podcast will be back. After the Academy Awards Until then You'll still be able to hear All five of us In various groupings On Weekend Watchlist Our weekly look At what's streaming And screening And not just that, Gemma And our new
1: Limited series podcast Best in Show Led by awards season Enthusiast It'd be great If that was an official job title Mia Vicino And her Best in Show besties Brian And you, Gemma I hear you have some pretty hot Academy Award-winning guests already lined up, so I'm excited. Please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps spread the word about the show, and you can also rate us on Spotify. And you can always drop us a line at podcast.letterbox.com. At we love mail. We've gotten a few of them already. Very kind emails.
0: Yeah, we got an email from Sasha this week. I love listening to this podcast. It's so great to hear the four favorites of different notable people. And as someone with an oversized watch list, I oh, also God. love the weekend watch list episodes, so I can add even more movies to my watch list. The show is so great. I really look forward to every episode. So thank you for doing it. Thank you, Sasha, for writing to us. What a kind email. The Letterbox Show
1: is a tape deck production. Merry Christmas and goodwill to all men and women. As the great Pickle Keaton once said,
0: Aww. Merry Christmas, son. Oh. 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 Just the pussy I've been looking for.
2: It's chilly in here. I'll warm you. Down Oswald. world we need
3: to talk you see you and i have something in common sounds
4: familiar uh, appetite for destruction contempt for the czars of fashion wait don't tell me naked
0: sexual charisma
2: this is this, this is a tape deck
0: podcast